Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. sitting here today with Vanessa Ferlano. Vanessa, welcome. Hi, Tanya. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to be here. Well, I am super excited to have you. And I'm just going to do a quick little introduction so our listeners know who we're, we're going to be hearing from today. And Vanessa, you have spent almost a decade in tech as an award-winning corporate innovator, founder, executive, angel investor, and advisor across Canada and the USA. And in the last In the two years that you lived in Calgary, you consulted with Platform Calgary, worked in corporate innovation, and launched an enterprise-level investment platform, and you wrote your debut book, Human, a memoir of sorts describing your inward journey of shedding who who she was told to be. Actually, I'm going to do that again. Sorry. Sure. It was so good. It's great. (laughs) I'm uh, I'm just going to keep a I'm just going to keep it rolling so you go ahead whenever. Okay, sounds good. Vanessa has spent almost a decade in tech as an award-winning corporate innovator, founder, executive, angel investor and advisor across Canada and the USA. In the 2 years she lived in Calgary, she consulted with Platform Calgary, worked in corporate innovation and launched an enterprise level investment platform and wrote her debut book, Human, a memoir of sorts describing her inward journey of shedding who she was told she had to be to find her truth. Something that is very difficult to do as a half Mexican, half Italian woman, especially in tech. So Vanessa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm listening to you do the intro. And as I'm hearing it, I'm like, wow, I did a lot in two years. <laughs> you know, when you're so busy doing it, you don't actually realize it. But then someone says it to you and you're like, whoa, did I really do that? <laughs> Girl, you, it sounds like you kicked ass in two years. So <laughs> Vanessa, thank you. Thank yeah, you so, like, so take us through your journey in tech. I mean, you are a tech mogul and philanthropist, and we're going to get to that. But take us through your journey in tech. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my journey in tech, I didn't really think that I never felt that that's where I was going to go. You know, I kind of I grew up and I was the one of those kids. I was like, I'm going to go to med school. And then, uh, so, you know, my my background is very heavy in science. I have a, a, a Bachelor of Science in Neuroscience, Cell and Molecular Biology and Immunology. Um, so, you know, I was pretty dedicated to getting into med school, but then, you know, my third, fourth year kind of realized there wasn't really something that I wanted. Um, but what I took a huge interest in was tech commercialization. So, you know, lots of interest in the new devices and therapies coming out for a lot of neurodegenerative diseases. And that's what kind of spurred me into the whole, hey, maybe I should get into tech. So from there, I went to get my master's of biotech. Um, oh no, sorry, my master's of business in entrepreneurship and technology. Uh, and then that's where I ended up working for a lot of med tech companies. Um, I was 23 and I was the chief operations officer at a gene therapy company. Um, and, you know, most of my job there was partnerships and um, uh, scaling up manufacturing. We had a very early stage 
uh, tech at the time and we had some big partners that were interested. So we had to really figure out how to produce at the quantities that they needed. Um, from there, I worked in, I worked for a firm that licensed technologies from government and university labs to commercialize them. So I ran their biotech portfolio. And for me, that was, you know, a lot of um, licensing, license acquisition, uh, IP, and then also, you know, actually the commercialization part, you know, I helped build those teams. Um, you know, I was advising on uh, governance and corporate structure and then, you know, general strategy and, and also raising capital. After that, that's when, after that part, that was when I ended up moving to Calgary. Um, you know, I was, I was pretty young. I was like 23, 24 years old and uh, I had lost my father to brain cancer. I had also been coming out of, um, you know, a really unhealthy relationship where I was uh, sexually assaulted. So, you know, at the age, at the age of 23, 24, having, you know, those sort of, um, you know, having all these, oh yeah, let us as in business doing all these things, but there's a lot of stuff personally that was happening as well. And I really had to work through it. And that was what brought me to Calgary. I was, um, I went to visit a friend and, you know, I thought, eh, maybe I don't need to go back. There's nothing, no rush for me now. So I ended up staying there for two years and, you know, I kind of took my time, you know, I was like, I think I need to take some space, be in the quiet, uh, deal with some of this, these, you know, trauma and figure out how to, how to settle within, come to peace with a lot of these things. Um, and, you know, because that took precedence, I started my tech journey also changed a little bit, you know, instead of trying to be this, uh, you know, what we're kind of taught we're supposed to be right in tech, it's hustle mentality. It's, we have to do this and here's who you're supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. And you got to be on 24 seven and it's completely unrealistic and incredibly harmful. And, and I think that some of that really did feed into a lot of my, you know, more even personal trauma because it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. Um, and so that was when I ended up in corporate innovation and doing consulting and, you know, again, still being able to stay in tech, but because I was prioritizing myself a little bit more, I was a bit more selective about the opportunities that I was taking on and a little bit more, um, uh, you know, just feeling like I didn't have to do everything is really what it is. You know, I was really taking the time to, uh, to, to learn about myself. And I also think that um, not only was I learning about myself, but what I was realizing was that, Hey, I can still achieve things without doing everything all the time, 24 seven, right? Like I was taking my time. I was sitting in the silence. I was, you know, dealing with my personal things, but I was still able to achieve things. And again, like I said, when you kind of said that intro to me, I was like, wow, yeah, I can't believe I did all of that. And I was still able to do that, even though I was really doing a lot of emotional healing as well. Wow. Well, and listening to you go through your formal education, like that is really, really impressive. I mean, I, I'm <laughs> like listening to this and I'm like, wow, this girl is obviously very brilliant um, and, you know, maybe with a more science background, but now you've also seen success in the tech, you know, world. So what are some of the barriers that you faced and that you think other women face, you know, in tech? I mean, I think, I think it's the system, honestly, you know, like there's, there's so much, we always hear about the specifics, right? The, you know, um, mat leave, access to care, all of those things. But I think, you know, and I can keep talking about those things, or I think we can take a step back and look at the entire system, right? Like it's the way that we structure society. It's a construct and it's, it's built to serve the same people all continuously and all the time. And until we start uh, understanding that and acknowledging that we won't realize how programmed we are into thinking the way that, that we do, you know, 
like I said, look at, you know, things like hustle mentality, all those things. Um, those are stories that we're told to believe so that who's benefiting from it? The investors, like the people that have the money. And it's always the people that have the money in their pockets that are benefiting from this system, from this structure. And I think that um, it's it's very harmful to everybody because not only are we we're putting people in positions where they can't thrive, which means that, you know, even if we look at it from an economic perspective, that's actually impacting the value that they can also extract from people. Right. So um, I really think it's, it's a system and I always take a system approach to everything. I think that, you know, specific to women as well, we're in very unfortunate positions. Um, I think if we look at, you know, white culture and, and I always, I always like to define white culture because I don't think white culture is the color of your skin. It is, it is the culture, right. I'm talking about colonization, all those things happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but they're so engraved in us, we don't even realize it. And so I think for women, what happened was that, you know, during colonization, um, and I think that, you know, with especially white women, I think that we've placed them in a very unfortunate position as as the buffers. So they're kind of the gatekeepers, you know, and we have one, they've been idealized as the as as the, you know, as as They've been idealized as, as the, this is what we're supposed to be, you know, and they've been idealized based off of the expectations and desires of, you know, white men that are in control and in power. Um, but then on top of that, when we have, so not only as we have the people, you know, people of color, I consider myself a person of color, or at least from the minoritized communities, because I'm half Mexican, half Italian. I didn't grow up that way. I grew up very differently, immigrant mindset, but for us, everywhere we look, we're taught that that's what we're supposed to aspire to be. So now when we want those same opportunities, um, we get pushback. But then unfortunately for these white women who are also in this, you know, buffer position, they also get pushback when they want those opportunities, they get pushback from those above them. So they are literally in these very horrible positions where they are consistently being uh, almost attacked from either side. And I think that's terrible. Why would we want to do that to anybody? We don't. And we need to really be aware of how this type of programming that's that really is embedded into our society, into our culture, we need to be aware about how it impacts everybody. And we're not, which is really, really, really unfortunate. And like I said earlier, all it really does is it stops people from reaching their true value. And that actually is impacting the value that can be extracted from everybody. Um, but um, I, yes, I think all in all in all, that is how I believe that women are really impacted. And those are the barriers that that we face. Um, I think at the end of the day, again, like colonization was really about power. And that's what diversity has become at this point is it's been this thing about power, but it's not. It's about voices being heard and opportunities for everyone. And it seems like, you know, a lot of women in the corporate uh, work world, they they are feeling like they're marginalized. They're feeling like their voice doesn't matter. They're feeling like, you know, they're they're not able to climb the corporate ladder because of barriers that are being put in front of them. And so, like, is that something that you have personally faced in your life? Yes, absolutely. I mean, there are, and I think it's really interesting because you know, I've experienced it from men and women, you know, and again, that just goes back to the point of it is because it's just engraved in our society. What 
what that response is, that response is that you're talking about, Tanya, that response of like feeling marginalized, that's a result of trauma, right? Because think about it. This is like generations and generations of trauma that's been imp- imposed on, on women, not feeling heard, you know, being told this is who you are, you can't leave this box. Like that's that's genuinely trauma. And if we really wanted to get into like the horrors of colonization, if we really wanted to go in that direction, like we could, but, you know, I, I, I am mindful <laughs> that we, you know, this is a short time period <laughs> to chat, but like, you know, really it is trauma and we just haven't taken the opportunity to acknowledge that. I think that even if we really, you know, there's lots of talk of everybody does want change, but until that trauma has been acknowledged, we can't see that change because then there's no understanding and everything's just going to be very superficial and very fluffy. But I mean, I've definitely had personal examples. Um, I remember one time doing a presentation for uh, 2,500 people once, and this was in a work setting, and it was about a big project that I'd launched. And I remember getting a call from a director. She was a woman, and she actually called me and said, oh, I just wanted to give you some feedback on your presentation. And I was like, okay, you know, sure, why not? I guess I didn't ask for feedback. (laughs) But, you know, it's that entitlement, right? It's that entitlement of like, no, you have to hear my feedback. Um, And this wasn't someone that I reported to either. But her feedback to me was to next time uh, wear a shirt with sleeves because I don't know, God forbid I wore a blouse that showed my shoulders, you know, but it's things like that, right? And and it's very, it's very bizarre to get those kinds of comments, especially in 2022. But like I said, you still do. Actually, that was a couple of years ago. But even then, like still in this generation, we still get that because it's so engraved in our culture, those beliefs of what we've been told about how women are supposed to look, how they're supposed to dress, how they're supposed to talk, how they're supposed to behave. And again, all this is doing is stifling people and serving that same level of people. Mm-hmm. And, and in your book, Human, which you wrote here while you lived in Calgary, what part of that journey is in human? So human is very much about my journey being more human to myself. And it does touch upon things, you know, certain experiences in the corporate and work setting, but it does also tackle the other personal traumas that I was dealing with in the beginning. Uh, I originally, when I originally wrote human and people asked me, what's it about? My original answer was our ignorance. <laughs> That's honestly what I thought at the time, but my perspective has really changed. It's not really about our ignorance. It's about our, our unawareness, right? We are so unaware of who we are because of what we've been told we're supposed to be by society. And so human is me breaking down those assumptions. And it's just me going through my everyday, you know, day-to-day life, seeing interactions, seeing dynamics, and then reflecting on them. And, and that is that that period of, of getting to know me, shedding what I was told I was to actually hear my voice. And it's very reflective of my time in Calgary, because that's exactly what I was doing when I was there for the two years. Um, and, you know, all those all the observations and interactions that are written about in the book, like they're all real. You know, there's what happens is that it's going I'm going through these day to day motions And then I'm seeing things that bring me back to a time of trauma that remind me of some experiences in the workplace. And then how am I healing through all of that? And all of those observations are real. Those were things I genuinely witnessed. Those were things that genuinely came up for me. So it's a very real and raw experience of what what it is to be more human to yourself, which is, like I said, to be aware, to be aware of who you are, to shed those that programming, to hear your true voice. I think the other thing that I've really, my perspective is also adapted a little bit too, where 
you know, we talk a lot about finding your truth, but it's not really finding your truth. It's hearing your truth because it's just mm, yes. buried. It's just buried behind everything we've been told we're supposed to be. I like that. Hearing your truth. Well, and when I went to your website, I get the impression that this book, that writing human was very therapeutic for you because it talks about your journey from darkness to light. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think any form of, of writing, any form of creativity is really any is really healing because uh, creativity really comes from your subconscious. You know, you don't have to think to be creative; you just are creative. And there's a lot that can really come out, and and that can be on any platform, whether it's whether it's writing, whether it's music, whether it's art and painting, uh, even even like uh, what's it like textile things, right? Like that's all creativity, and and uh, creativity is healing because it is again, it's coming from your subconscious. Mm-hmm. And you talk about changing the world, and I know that you've had a really big impact on the world. You're very philanthropic. Can you share with us? you know, what philanthropy means to you and how you kind of moved into that area from tech mogul to philanthropy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I don't think there is a way that I moved into it. I think it was very natural and very organic. It was just as I continue to discover more about myself and, and hear myself, there's a very organic feeling of, oh, hey, now that I I, I kind of have this sense of, of who I am, uh, I'm a little bit more aware, you know, it's just very natural to want that for everybody else as well. Because when you start connecting with yourself, you start connecting with others. And then you also see your connection to the world very differently. And that was kind of where I was at, where I went, well, I want our whole world to be different. And I want other people to also experience this sense of enlightenment. I want people to hear their true self too, because if everybody did that, we could live in a completely different society. We created this first system. Why can't we create something different? And we can, but we all need to take that opportunity to hear hear ourselves and to heal ourselves. We all hold trauma, whether it's, you know, it could be from childhood, whether it's, you know, no, it doesn't matter the capacity, like pain is pain, hurt is hurt, loss is loss, trauma is trauma. We all have it. And when we can heal from it, uh, we can truthfully make a difference. And that was why I ended up, you know, doing more philanthropic things. I think, uh, you know, there's a couple things to philanthropy. I think for me, it's really driven by my desire to create spaces for these types of conversations to be heard. So very active, you know, I do talks. I was just in Calgary actually last week, I think, or on the April, I think it was April 21st. Um, I was there doing a talk for Google women tech makers and also talking about diversity in tech and the challenges and talking about what I mentioned earlier, right? This idea of perfection of what we've been idealized and told we're supposed to be versus progress. And so I was chatting about that. Um, also I'm super excited. I will be launching a foundation soon. So, you know, uh, if anyone is really interested, please, you can go visit my website. So you don't miss the email list. follow me on social media. I'm at Vanessa Ferleano on Instagram. Um, I'm very, very excited about it. It's been in the works for a while. Um, and, and yes, so I'm, I'm super close, but very excited about it. And it's really the same things. Like, how are we going to inspire people, create spaces to make sure all voices are heard? And that's what I'm going to do with the Being Human Foundation is uh, making sure that we're supporting these minoritized communities through certain programming. Um, also making sure that they have opportunities to promote themselves and, and their work um, and the things that they do in their communities, because there are a lot of people in these communities that do a lot of work and they don't go recognized because they're not they're not part of that ruling class level. And it's really unfortunate. So again, really, really driven to just make sure we're creating spaces and opportunities for all voices to be heard. 
Uh, well, and you, Vanessa, you've created such a beautiful life and a great platform for um, for your philanthropic, um, you know, organization and for the work that you do. And I think that that's a beautiful thing about success. When you've reached a certain level of success, you feel that you're at a place that you can give back. You have the the means and the knowledge and the experience to give back. And I think that that's a beautiful thing. Um, I'm going to shift back towards uh, women in tech. And, and I, you know, when I think of women in tech, I, I think that it really needs a facelift. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, when the first person that comes to mind is Elizabeth Holmes uh, <laughs> from yeah. Theranos. Uh, I don't know if if you've read uh, if you've read uh, the the book about it, but wow, I I read that book and I could not put it down. And <laughs> I have you read it? I have not read the book, no, but I, I do know what you're talking about. Oh my gosh! So when I think of women in tech, there's I guess a couple of things I think about, and I say that kind of as a as a joke because she yeah. was in biotechnology and was you know a fraud to the world. But you know, I think about um, you know not a lot of women are going into tech, and and maybe that's just my perception. So I'd love to hear from you if this is a growing industry for women, if it's still primarily men. What, why are women, not more women going into tech? Um, like what, can you maybe speak to that? Yeah, um, I think that, I think the rates of women getting into these industries definitely a lot higher than they were. Um, but I think there's, there are challenges and these challenges are everything that we've been talking about so far. These, these challenges of, of what's, what's allowed and the perceptions and who's in control ultimately you know, uh, I think I was saying earlier, uh, I think I mentioned diversity, you know, if we follow the the thought or the pathway of, of colonization, if we follow that whole, you know, that discussion that we were having, um, diversity is about power. And so I think that when we look at, you know, the workplace, uh, something very similar, diversity is about targets and metrics. And that's the problem, right? To these, to these individuals that are the ones that are in control, senior leadership, there's not a lot of representation there. And that's where the true issue is. Because if you don't have that, we don't have these voices that are advocating. We don't have these voices that are trying to inspire change in these processes. And so there's still a lot of that bias that exists at the lower levels. Um, so yes, there's definitely the women in, there's all, you know, women in STEM programs and projects and mentorships and everything, and they exist and they are helping at the end of the day, we need a little bit more awareness at the top level because um, diversity, again, is not about, it's not a target, it's not a metric. It is about opportunity and making sure voices are heard. And when I was talking about earlier, that whole layer, right, where we have white women in that unfortunate position, um, again, like in the white culture, diversity, it's about power and that's not what it's about. And we really, really, really need to have conversations like this so people can be a lot more aware of, again, that programming and that needs to be deconstructed. And so when I think of, you know, women in technology, obviously you, you're living, eating, breathing it, you know, what does a day in your life look like Vanessa now? Like, you know, from basically the time that you wake up, what are the types of things that you are a part of in the technology world today? Uh, for myself, I focus a lot on, um, like, it's, it's kind of tough because tech can actually be very broad. You know, it can cover a lot of different industries. I spend a lot of time um, in entertainment. Um, there is another, I'm launching a tech startup in the next few months, which I can't say too much about right now, but it's, it's kind of more related onto the, in the entertainment side. 
Um, but that's where a lot of my time goes. I do spend a lot of time working with various minoritized communities as well, um, securing sponsorships uh, for various different events. And that's where a lot of my, you know, my, sh- my connection between tech and philanthropy kind of stays there. You know, I'm not so much, you know, when, my, when I first started out in tech, I was very much, you know, more technical, more, um, more, you know, like there's med tech, right. And more on the kind of company building. And I'm still doing a lot of that, but right now I spend more time in really supporting the ecosystem. Cause I think that again, that's very important when we support the ecosystem, we're supporting the, the structure of society or at least making changes in it. Right. I'm not trying to support the current structure, but Again, it's about if we are supporting these initiatives in the ecosystem, we're creating awareness, creating spaces to have these conversations that need to be had. And whether you're a woman, a man, let's talk about someone who may want to get into the tech industry. Are there uh, like, you know, what type of degree would you take? And I know, like you said, tech is very, very broad. Mm -hmm. But if someone is interested, maybe some of our listeners are young, they're graduating from from, uh, high school, they're going into university. Maybe some of our listeners are looking at a career change and hear how tech is really kind of at the forefront these days of the workforce. Where does somebody go to go to get educated or get information on this? I think that it would kind of, it would depend on what you're looking for, right? I think I think the great thing if you have like a solid foundation of tech is that you can you can choose do you want to stay technical or are you more interested in getting into, you know, the more business aspects of it and in a case like that, there are a lot of different programs out there. Um, you know, and you can easily find things in the entrepreneurship uh I guess you call it industry. Um, you know, lots of boot camps, lots of um uh, lots of boot camps, lots of courses, lots of workshops. Um, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, even if you are someone that is in the opposite position, right? Like I know in Calgary, you guys are in Alberta, you're looking at going from more um, uh, oil and gas into tech. So, you know, you probably are, you might be looking for people, you might have people and listeners that are looking to develop more tech skills, but it's the same thing. There are lots of boot camps, lots of workshops that you can take. Um, a lot of them are... Sorry about that. If you heard that ding, I can repeat that. Um, there are a lot of workshops out there, lots of boot camps, lots of seminars. Um, you know, you don't always need to go back and get a formal degree. Um, you know, I think that the nature of tech uh, is very, you know, there's that, that, that you know, we got to pivot and there are things that you can pick up very, very quickly. And so there are lots of resources out there to at least get the foundations. And once you kind of play around and figure out what ones you enjoy, uh, you can figure out the best way to to enhance those and grow those. And sometimes, you know, even working for startups can actually be a great experience because you can develop some of these foundations and you can do it on your own, which is really great. And then as you keep developing it, you know, then you keep branching out and finding new opportunities. And from there, you know, maybe it's getting into corporate, maybe it's starting your own company, but there are a lot of opportunities. Um, it really just comes down to you. You know, fear can really, really fear can stop us, you know, and plays lots of tricks on us. Um, you know, we can feed ourselves any story in the world to not do something. Um, so do your best to just tell you any story that you have to tell yourself to just get started and try it out. Because, um, again, I think that when I look at the, again, like the system, right, we're kind of taught, you're supposed to go to school, do this, get a job and that's it. And so then when we're in this position where it doesn't fit that model or fit that story, it can be a bit of a challenge, but you know, there's no harm in trying a bunch of different things out and then seeing which one fits to you the most. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and even my daughter, I put her in a coding 
um, camp last year. And just this morning, I was calling our one of our, uh, our places that we that we sign up for things for for the summer camps. And they said, yeah, we still have room in the coding one left. And so I was thinking, oh, I have to ask Ophelia if she wants to go back to coding. She seemed to really like it. So I like that awesome. there's, you know, even, you know, organizations and camps for young kids that want to get involved with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's tons out there for kids. And it's it's so great because I think our, our general education system is a little bit behind when it comes to tech skills like that, you know? Yes. Uh, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very bizarre that our curriculums aren't centered around that and that we have to depend on these, you know, not-for-profits and third-party resources to teach children, to teach children these types of tech skills. Yeah, well, you have to think though that that's got to change at some point because I mean, even now I think, you know, there's a lot of schools that you um, basically they they have iPads at schools at the school for them to learn or laptops, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years ago, that wasn't a thing. Um, and, yeah. and now it is. So it, I think it's a very slow evolution. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's true. Uh, but and I, I when I think of technology, I don't have a lot of experience in it outside of the the phone and the laptop that I use, but I was uh I went to San Fran and uh, we were able to tour Google and Facebook. And um, what a cool experience that was and looking at the technology and how the companies run. And it's a bit mind blowing. And that was three years ago. So I can only imagine, you know, th- you know, today, if I went, how much it would have progressed as well. But yeah, the tech world is just, it's such a cool, but such a different world. Like it's, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And then when you have a a glimpse into it, you're like, wow, that's what they're doing. (laughs) That's what they can do. I mean, even my daughters went to Legoland when we were in Phoenix and they said that basically everything at Lego, excuse me, everything at Legoland um, is like robotic. Like they didn't even see, I, I think like, you know, hardly any employees there because they were robots. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, tech is tech is the future and it is the way of the future. Um, it's just, it's how we're the human beings. We're the ones that create it. So how are we going to use it? Why are we using it? What's our intention with it? Um, and, and, you know, I think we really have to make sure that we are aware of, of that because we can do great things. Maybe we might do, who knows what else we can create. And we just have to be really mindful of, how we're using it and why we want to use it and what impact we want to have. Mm-hmm. And Vanessa, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> what keeps me? I like this question because I think that a lot of times, you know, we, a lot of times this question is interpreted as like what stresses you out, but like, honestly, what keeps me up at night are like ideas that I get excited about, you know? So I have to work really hard to not at the end of the night, I have to put my things down because if I start thinking about something, I'm going to be up all night being like, oh my God, I should do this and I should do that. And then I can do this with the foundation and oh, and then this and this. So I have to work very hard to have a very regimented nighttime routine. So that at the end of the night, you know, when I sit in the bathtub, I know that no, Vanessa, you're going to sleep after this. There is no time for your brain to start getting creative. You need to sleep. <laughs> so, creative those are brain. typically the things that, that keep me up at night. Yeah. And I mean, the creative brain isn't just for like artsy stuff, you know, the creative brain does feed into our, you know, businesses and, and all those. We just, we, we're not trained to see it that way, you know? 
No, absolutely. Well, and I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people think it's, you know, what keeps you up at night has to be in, you know, oh, a negative thing, but it's yeah. not that at all. It could be something creative. It could be, you know, you know, if you travel a lot, the next trip that you're planning. I mean, sometimes yeah. I lay in bed worrying about my kids or about a deal that I'm working on, but I would agree with you. Typically it's more about, oh my gosh, like, you know, what about this? And, oh, maybe I should do that. And, oh, I have to call Nicole in the morning to implement this new digital platform or, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that our minds are, are, you know, they can be beautiful and creative at night as well. So thank you for pointing that out. Now, what is something that most people probably don't know about Vanessa Ferlano? Oh, man, that is a great, great question. It's it's so hard because I think like as an artist, as an author, like I'm releasing music this year. It's like basically everything about me is just in the open. I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, this is my all my pain, all my love. Just take it. And so it's like, I don't know. But I, I think maybe at first glance, people might not know. I'm actually plant based. And I think that might be surprising to oh. people because I'm Mexican and Italian. And, you know, we're like, you know, it's it's very tough to find a, a Mexican, I think anyways, or at least traditionally who's who's plant based. But yes, maybe that would be surprising. So I've been plant based for about a year now. And it's been a great, great, great journey, honestly. Um, really, when I combine that with, you know, just my yoga practice and my own kind of spiritual practice, um, it's been a very uh, awakening, enlightening journey. Wow! What does your family think, being <laughs> half Mexican, half Italian? They're gonna. That I'd be like, girl. <laughs> um, I think. I, so my sister was actually vegetarian for almost like 10 years or 12 years. Okay. So I think that my parents were kind of accustomed to it. But if I go back to that point in time, I think they were both pretty surprised and. Um, <laughs> And I remember too, because my sister was the only one who was vegetarian and uh, she would have to prepare all her own meals because like literally we didn't know what to do. My parents were like, we don't, we don't know how to cook for you. (laughs) So, so, you know, but she managed, she did pretty well because she was, I think she was 14 or 15 when she went vegetarian and she was like cooking for herself at that age. And I used to confuse some of her food in the fridge and she'd have to put containers like this is for me, Vanessa, do not eat. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is so funny. And at 14, yeah. Wow. I I was still probably thinking about getting to go to McDonald's at that point. Yeah. That's amazing. You and me so, both. Yeah, yeah. And so plant-based, like wow, that's a was that a difficult shift? Because I like to eat everything plant-based, like you really have to know what's in everything that yeah. goes in your mouth. It, it honestly, it really wasn't. Um, I had very, in, I had almost unintentionally really been cutting out a lot of dairy products anyways. I mean, I used to train for like half marathons and stuff because I was okay, right? My dad was dying and I was actually assaulted, but I can run a half marathon. Like I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Right. <laughs> so, but at that point, like, and I used to eat lots of eggs and, and all that. But then once I sort of, you know, as I really did go further into my healing journey, um, you know, you start becoming a lot more aware of the energy that you that you take in. And uh, part of that energy is is food, food is fuel. And, um, you know, I was just I don't know, it was just I very slowly started weaning out of eggs. Um, and then, you know, for a while, none of those products were really in my diet. And so when I decided, yeah, I don't think, you know, I when I decided I don't, I wanted to go plant based, it wasn't too much of a challenge, because I didn't have a lot of that, that in my system and in my diet anymore. Um, 
but I, I love it. Honestly, I make a lot of my own, uh, like nut butters. I make all my own, like almond milk and, and I do all of that on my own and I, I love it. Honestly. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh I, I mean, just gosh. invest in a, invest in a good blender and you can literally do anything. And I mean, I'm even pretty, uh, the hardest ones for me were things like bread was a bit of a challenge and especially like, you know, being Italian and Mexican, <laughs> that was, uh, Bread was probably the hardest because, you know, some of them do use eggs, um, but I just kind of took my time with that one. And I think if you're going to make any big shift like that, it's just really about not putting pressure on yourself. You know, um, it was really just like, I'm going to take my time. And I very slowly started weaning up bread. And especially because as I was learning more about plant-based, like you said, right, you do, you have to read the label, you have to know what's in your food. And, you know, in the beginning, I was probably eating things that maybe were still plant-based. I just were not plant-based, but I just didn't know because I didn't have enough education. But as I kept learning more and keep learning more, you know, you just, you just get more and more into it. And it's, it's really a journey. It's an experience, you know, it's not about just, this is like it and that's it. It's just, it's really a journey and you just kind of keep experimenting and keep learning and just adapting as you learn more. Okay, but let me ask you this. What do you do for cheese? Because I could never get cheese. <laughs> yes, cheese was another tough one. Um, there are a lot of like vegan cheeses out there that you can eat. Um, I eat the ones that are coconut oil based. Um, that, okay. Those are the ones that I, I use because I, I think coconut oil. I like coconut oil a lot. So, But there's a couple out there. But yeah, that one was hard. That one was really, really a challenge. Um, but yeah, just takes time. Just time and then you don't, you don't miss it that much because you start you know, when we look at like lots of the, like lots of the sugar and the food that we typically eat, there's a lot of stuff in there that we, we just like, that's becomes our normal because that's just what we eat all the time. But when you start eating like raw foods, your taste buds change a little bit and you taste food very differently. So I don't miss a lot of that. I remember after one week of going plant-based, I had, my power had gone out and I didn't have any food. <laughs> so I went just to the grocery store across the street. And I was like, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll just get this like rotisserie chicken. Because I thought in my head, I thought I missed chicken, you know? So I was like, let me, you know, whatever. It's one week. I was good all week. This will be my cheat. I honestly, I had this piece of chicken. I was so sick that night. And that was one week into this journey. Wow. So it's, it's, it really like, again, like it's really awareness. When you start becoming really aware of your body, like you would be very surprised what 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 we do to it that we have no idea but I remember like I was so sick that night I was like I'm never and I that was literally the last time I ever had chicken because I, I couldn't do it like I was so sick that night it was it was horrible well Vanessa I support you in your plant-based <laughs> diet but Thank I'm just you. telling you I love my chicken <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's fair <laughs> so what do you vow to yourself in life or what have you vowed to yourself Oh, I love this question. What a nice question. Oh my gosh. What do I vow for myself? I vow to keep learning about myself, you know, to keep experiencing myself, to keep, to just keep hearing myself and doing whatever it takes to make sure that I don't lose that connection to myself and my inner voice. That is, that is my vow to myself. Mm, I love that. Well, and I think that that fits in very <laughs> well with your book, Human. Um, Thank and, you so much. Uh, yeah. So we always like to spotlight a charity of choice. Um, and is there a charity that you would like to spotlight today? If I don't know if it'd be cheating if I spotlighted my foundation that no, I'm no, launching. No, no, no. We love well, that. I would love to spotlight have. that one. I, if, the, if I can have another one, I rescued a Catahoula leopard dog from Redemption Paws. That is another charity I would love to spotlight as well because okay. she's lovely. She's a brat and she's probably 
right now eating the bed sheets while we talk, but that's okay. It's 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 love, and she can do whatever she wants because she's. Uh, she's <laughs> okay, so it's redemption pause. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And the name of your charity is the Being Human Foundation. The Being Human Foundation. And uh, is there a website that our listeners can go to? For the Being Human Foundation, that is in the works, but you can visit my personal website um, and there will be an email list to learn about my philanthropic endeavors, which will include the Being Human Foundation. And that is at vanessaferlano.com? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Great. Well, Vanessa, it's been so lovely getting to know you and thank you for your time. Thank you for your vulnerability. I, you know, we've never met, but I sense that um, you know, you have the ability to be extremely vulnerable, which I'm sure writing a book, you kind of, you know, and you said you're kind of, your life is out there, but that's not a gift that everybody has. And so I, I'm just so grateful that you are vulnerable because I believe that that leads to growth and um, people can really learn from others' vulnerability and connections. So thank you for being here today and sharing your story. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, creating this space, and for all the lovely words. I really appreciate it. Uh, Thanks, Vanessa. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.